Hello and welcome back to the Stadio Podcast. I'm Musa Kwonga. I'm Ryan Hun. Ryan, how are you doing? I'm ready for a Christmas break. <laughs> Actually, yeah, me too. I'm I'm shivering at the moment all the time. It sounds wild, but it's just a constant deadline after deadline after deadline. And I suddenly thought, why am I so rattled at the moment? It's just because it's a humble brag. No, it's not. It's not. It's not <laughs> such a humble yeah, brag. Oh yeah, yeah. A journalist who's basically like paid this rate. He's like, got constantly. so much work coming in, guys. Yeah, yeah. It's like making I'm, me really yeah, shivery. It's a humble brag. Yeah, I'm boasting about churning out work so much. Like, <laughs> this pile of clothing on my bed, looking at me, going, "When are you going to put me away?" And I was like, "I've got a deadline. I can't." So yeah, it's that kind of week. Got to pay to put food on your table, clothes. <laughs> exactly. Oh goodness. Yeah, I'm ready for a Christmas break. Actually, should we um, fill everyone in on our plans over Christmas? Yeah, why not? Let's go for it. So I've got this podcast today, as you all know, because you're listening to it. And then we're going to do one more after the games next weekend, which will be the weekend before Christmas. And then we will be off until I think the first podcast will be the 5th or 6th of January. But we'll also have a bonus one this week, which will be the first ever Stadios. The Stadios. The official end of year Stadio Awards. Exactly. So <laughs> prestigious. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be a Catfish of the Year Award. <laughs> All sorts. Yeah, we'll have nominees and prize winners. We uh, yep. Yep. Getting the bin award. We'll try and get some of the winners um, on the show. Uh, I we, won't. We, we won't. Can, do that. We'll, <laughs> we won't do that. We've got enough to do. I haven't got time to be chasing down people. <laughs> Doubt the catfish would turn up. <laughs> they said they would. They said they would. Yeah. <laughs> they they just, always say they would. Just ghost yeah. us. <laughs> That's our plans for the next week. Before we get into the podcast, a little reminder, if anyone's listening on Apple Podcasts, please leave us a, leave us a rating and a review. Preferably five stars. Yeah. Helps us grow the podcast. It does indeed. Helps us grow the podcast. Right, nice. We're not going to go too much into actual games, are we, today? Not really, no. No. We held off recording on our usual time because we wanted to catch the Europa League and Champions League draws. So we're going to get into those first. We're going to talk a little bit about Arsenal being weak on the pitch and off the pitch. We are indeed. We'll dive into a little bit about Bundesliga and a couple of Premier League bits or some La Liga stuff, but we'll do a quick whiz round. And some questions. Let's go for it. So let's start with the Champions League draw. Oh, I'm so hyped. I'm so hyped. This is the best Champions League draw I can remember. For round of 16, I can remember in a long, long time. I can't remember, certainly a better one. And last year's was pretty incredible. We consider last year was pretty amazing. Yeah. I mean, I tweeted it actually, but Lee Lee Roden got back saying, you know, you'd kind of expect that with the fact that there are only teams from the top five leagues left which I agree with but also the matchups are amazing so even like Atalanta Valencia I think that's a really balanced tie for example there's not there's not too many that are I mean maybe Napoli Barca is the only one that is absolutely probably nailed on but here's the thing about no it's not though because well I mean on paper you'd think oh no no do I disagree with that look the trouble that Napoli gave Liverpool in the state, in the group stages, right? Yeah. And the reason why this is such an incredible set of matchups, including Napoli Barca, is the strengths of the fate of the, of the of the underdog teams match up perfectly with the weaknesses of the bigger teams. Yeah. So like Atleti, the, who looked really good against Osasuna, actually, like they looked like they were creating something in open play. In fact, their goals were constructed really nicely. There's a nice variety of goals in the two 0 win. Napoli Barca, Napoli's pressing game and transition is frightening. And that will catch Barca cold if they're not careful. 
Yeah, I mean, should we rattle through the draw? Yeah, quick? sure, yeah. Sure. So it's Dortmund, PSG, Real Madrid, Man City, Atalanta, Valencia, Atleti, Liverpool, Oof. Chelsea, Bayern, Leon, Juve, Spurs, RB Leipzig, Napoli, Barcelona. This is what I mean. Look at the strengths and weaknesses of those supposedly superior teams in the tie. And it's like, wow, like these are the teams they would least like to get. No one wants Atleti, right? But also the way Atleti play, the way they can rest in possession and the way they can really hurt you on the break. And the fact that now Costa being out means they've really got to refine the Joao Felix Morata partnership. Mm. Lamar looked quite useful the other day as well. Niguez scored a beautiful goal. Like they, that is a nasty little tie for Liverpool. It's certainly not <laughs> nasty the one you want. Little yeah, tie. It's nasty. It's nasty. Real City. Oh, <laughs> that is tasty. Although apparently there was a thing saying no manager has beaten man, uh, no manager has beaten Real Madrid more in all competitions than Pep Guardiola. This is why I like it. It's just tasty in so many ways. I think Spurs Leipzig could potentially be the games of the round, though. Yes, I think that's right. Also, there's something about Mourinho Nagelsmann, like the new kid on the block, the kind of the new Mourinho in terms of the tactics, the motivation, the player that can coach. You know, it, it's so perfect. Future Spurs manager, Julian Nagelsmann. <laughs> oh, God. Nagelsmann <laughs> at Spurs, actually. Oof. I mean... Stop it. Nagelsmann anywhere. Sorry. We're so, recording this ahead of um, Arteta's probable announcement as Arsenal manager, by the way. Announce Arteta. <laughs> Announce him. <laughs> yeah, I'm really hyped about this draw, man. I'm so excited. I'm like, I'm gassed. So who do you think is going to go through? All right, let's go through them one by one, right? Let's do our f- the thing that we hate doing the most. Predictions. I hate it, but I love it. All right, okay. Dortmund PSG over two legs. PSG. I think so as well. Did you see what Mbappe did to St Etienne? Yeah, I mean, cruel- heart, it was cruelty. My heart says Dortmund. It's cruel. Mbappe scored against St Etienne. So for those listening, for those ever worried about Mbappe's confidence under pressure, apart from his World Cup show, which was amazing, Mbappe scores against St Etienne and then runs to celebrate in front of the fireworks being thrown by St Etienne fans. <laughs> Smash, no fear. So yeah, PSG. Real Madrid, City. City. Oh, which is a big shout, considering that Zidane hasn't been beaten in the Champions League. I'm going to go for Real Madrid. I think I'm wrong. The second I said, you know, it's the weird thing. The second I said Madrid, the second I said City, I thought, you're wrong, Musa. I think you're right. I think it will. I think Madrid will beat them. Yeah, I think so. It's because it's his tournament. And just that there's something about, they just won't go away, Real. You know, Mm. and this is the, you know, they're going to put all their resources into this tournament. We've seen him do this before. When they're kind of, they're not struggling in the league, they're doing fine. But... When the glory in the league diminishes for Real, they always step it up in the Champions League. Do you know what? I'm changing my mind. I think Madrid are right. Madrid. Yeah. Atalanta, Valencia. Valencia. Yeah, I think Valencia. Will they looked through. really good against Real. Yeah, they did. Oh my God, did you? <laughs> the, that guy, right. Torres, Ferran Torres, the, the, the yeah. forward. Lovely team. They um, were really, really unlucky. They conceded right at the end. Yeah. Courtois was up for the corner. And if I'd known it was going to go in, I would have rather Courtois scored the header. Yeah. And the worst is the, the defender it. sliced it clear. He mm. didn't see it. And it looks worse on the replay, but the defender hits the Valencia defender's leg and goes to Benzema's and assists. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway. Valencia looked quite tasty. I think they'll take that. I really like that tie. Yeah. Okay, Atleti, Liverpool. Liverpool, but they're not going to enjoy it at all. I think it depends on the injuries. They're going to pick up some injuries in the next few weeks, I think, Liverpool. Mm. I think Liverpool will do it, but they will not enjoy it one bit. Yeah, but I mean, no one enjoys playing. This is true. It's not the most dramatic prediction, is it? I mean, we actually had a question on Liverpool, so let's dive into it while we're here. Sure, yeah. Stephen Monday. Mm. Morning, guys. As a Liverpool fan, I'd like us to win the World Club Championship this week. 
as it will continue the winning mentality from the European Cup win in the summer. How is this tournament viewed in the rest of Europe and further afield? It's much more important to the South American um, contingent than it is to Europe. Much more. It has been for, for many, maybe for a generation. Mm. And the defining World Cup championship, I think, was actually when Flamengo beat Liverpool mm. 3-0 in 81, because that, that was the era of Zico, and that was the era when Liverpool were, you know, the best team in Europe, and many assumed the best in the world, and Flamengo came with the flamethrower. And I think ever since then, I mean, and they look at Boca beating Real, it's funny, the defining games seem to have been South American victories. Yeah. Um, with the exception of, I say, Juve beating River Plate when Del Piero scored the late winner. That was the one time I felt like there was a real parity. Mm. And also, yeah, also, again, Sao Paulo beating Milan with it goals from Rice. So it always feels to me like South American teams have seen that as a greater validation than European ones. But weirdly enough, in the close games, when both clubs clearly want it, it seems to have been the South Americans who have beaten them, the Europeans. Does that make sense? Yeah, it, I think... It's just I, a potted history of the tournament, I think. I'd go with that. I think it's, um, it comes at such a poor time for European sides. Well, maybe continental Europe, not so much, but definitely if an English side gets there, it's, it's, it's the busiest time of the year fixture-wise. Mm. The Christmas fixture list, then you have the FA Cup third round. Yeah. It all gets really busy and they've got the Carabao Cup... Is it semi-final as well? Mm. Quarter-final, semi-final? Yeah. I can't even remember. It's semi-final, I think. In an ideal world, it would have proper place in the football calendar. They'd have uh, maybe a winter break. Um, and, and, apart, and basically, they'd have a winter break. And they'd have this game like right in the middle of the winter break. Mm. So teams that were dominant would get a rest either side of the tournament. And they would just have no games until, let's say, sort of second week of Jan. So you'd have time to prepare for the game play it and then have two weeks to get back into the rhythm. Does that makes sense. You're suggesting the footballing authorities would have to display some kind of joined up thinking across multiple tournaments for the good of the game. <laughs> oh my goodness, right. Thank you so much. You've, you've put your finger on my philosophy. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Well, that'll never happen. So um, <laughs> let's move on to yeah, Chelsea Bayern. I love this so much. I mean, the obvious connotation of that, you know, Frank Lampard returning to the scene of 2012 victory. And what I love about it is it's that kind of voyage into the unknown. Bayern a little bit punch drunk from the way that teams have been playing the Bundesliga this year, showing signs of life, looked dangerous against Werder Bremen in the second half. You had a tweet that didn't age very well, did you? It didn't at all. It didn't Werder at Bremen all. are one up against Bayern in Munich. Yeah, and then... They lost 6-1. They got hammered. Philippe Coutinho's best performance in a Bayern shirt so far. He got a hat-trick and two assists. He even scored that goal he always scores. Yeah, yeah cut that side. But he scored another one, which the... Um, the Stunning. commentator went absolutely wild for in German commentary. It's like a spinning lob. Yeah. Beautiful goal, yeah. We'll touch on some more Bundesliga stuff in a little bit, but I think Chelsea could potentially sneak this one. They could, but I don't think they will. That's fair. They could, but I don't think they will. I, I really think they'll put on a great show, but I think it'll be like 4-2 aggregate type thing. Leon Juve. It's Juve, but my goodness, I wish it were Leon. I wish that my heart could say, yeah. Out of all the ties, I think this one could be the one that's won by the widest aggregate scoreline. They just, they have, they have the firepower. I mean, I'd like Leon to rough them up a bit. Me too. You could see it being maybe like two all in Leon and then four nil. Yeah. And in Turin. All right. Spurs, Leipzig. Leipzig. Oh, that's a big shout, you know, Spurs in Champions League though, they really do. They, they, they come, they come correct when they need to. They really do. And this is a, big tournament for them. It really matters to them. 
and Mourinho is Mourinho. I just think that I've got to put some respect on Nagelsmann's name. So yeah, I'll go for Leipzig there. I think Leipzig having the second leg in Leipzig is big. Yeah, it is. Really big. Pick Leipzig for that. Do you know what? I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't pick one on that. I don't think. What amazes me about Leipzig and Nagelsmann's coaching is that he's just increased the diversity of goal scorer. So you've got Werner scoring and Kunku scoring, Sabitzer. Yeah, I mean, they rotated really heavily on the weekend and cruised. Yeah, yeah. All right, what, Napoli, Barca? Barca? Oh, you think Napoli are going through? Yeah. Gattuso's Napoli. I think Napoli will do it. If I just look at the trouble they gave Liverpool, and Liverpool are better than Barca. Yeah. And the struggles that Barca have been having in the league, mm. they seem to foreshadow something. And also Barcelona carry the trauma of previous Champions League exits. Napoli is the least, they're the type they least wanted to play, I reckon, in, 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 some, in terms of who was available. Yeah, I don't think Napoli will fear them. No, exactly. And I think a lot of Barca's progression through the Champions League latter stages depends on who fears them the most. And what have Napoli been doing? They've been feasting off defensive mistakes from centre-backs. Mm. And that Barcelona backline has got a rick in it, for sure. All right, so that's the Champions League draw. Let's dive over to the Europa League draw quick. Wolves Espanyol. I like that. Let's pick up some key ties. That's great, Wolves Espanyol. Mm. And the food, my goodness. Getafe Ajax. That is a contrast <laughs> of styles. Oh my God. Leverkusen Porto. Getafe Ajax. Mm-hmm. That's like <laughs> matter versus antimatter. Copenhagen Celtic, Apoel, Basel, Cluj, Sevilla. Arsenal's Celtic inevitable. Celtic get some nice holidays, don't they? They do. They get some really nice holidays. Arsenal's inevitable matchup against Olympiacos. Perfection. Bruges versus Manchester United. That's nice. Ludogorets Inter. Oh God, I forgot it was a, 32, a round of 32. Ludogorets Inter. I think the tie of the round, Eintracht Salzburg. Yes. Eintracht anyone. Shakhtar Benfica, Wolfsburg Malmo. That's a nice, that's a nice tie. That's lovely. Wolfsburg with a great win, of course. We'll yeah. Go that in a bit. Rangers Braga. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. I mean, Wolves Espanyol though. That's great. I think Wolves will absolutely destroy Espanyol over two legs. Absolutely destroy them. I can't even see Espanyol scoring over two legs against Wolves. That's interesting. I mean, I like the tie. I think it's, it's something so cool about Wolves. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, Espanyol are bottom of La Liga. You know, they've been dreadful this season. They've been ropey. Yeah. The only joy they've really had is some of Barcelona's slip ups and that says it all. Yeah, maybe. I mean, do we need to talk more about the Europa League draw? I don't think so. Should we wait until it gets down to a reasonable amount of teams left? Exactly. Oh God, so many teams, so many rounds. The European Carabao. So many teams, so many rounds. Let's take a break and then we'll come back with some more football stuff. All right, back from the break. Shout, you got a shout out this week? Uh, it's a bit of a cliche, but it was going to be actually Mesut Ozil. Oh my God, you stole my shout out two times in two weeks. <laughs> and the best thing was, you told me about the Ozil story and I was like, oh, that sounds great. This is <laughs> just pure idea thievery. <laughs> Moose is wearing his bright red jumper and a bright red scarf. Habanero. Battle ready. Whenever I wear this, actually, whenever I wear this, it's on, isn't it? I suppose we should just plan before. We should, we should. But I quite like, I quite like the sort of... <laughs> yeah, so, so naturally, my, my shout-out's not Ozil. 
Yeah, it Actually, is. Don't lie. Don't step. No. If you're going to... Say it with my chest. going to step to me. Step to me. Say it with my chest. Okay. Well, because... Oh, as- actually, saying it with your chest. Did you? Speaking of chests, did you see Oyathabal and Nacho Monreal chest bump? No. After Sociedad's equaliser and accidentally smashed chins and both had to be treated for... Oh, I didn't <laughs> yeah. see That's amazing. <laughs> they literally Sociedad. did say it with their chests. Love Sociedad. It was a good game, that. Well, we, we can segue into it. Was it was very well, good. we'll do that later. Let's, we'll let's stick into, with Urzel. Why are we talking about Urzel? Come on, let's go. So, um, Urzel put a statement on his Twitter account in Turkish and maybe on Instagram as well in support of the Oyho uh, Muslims. And Arsenal got spooked and then basically didn't, well, they put out a statement you know, distancing themselves from it and saying, Not in English, it might be added, it must be added, or on international platforms. Interesting, they did it in. In Mandarin, I think, in China on their, on, on Weibo, was Weibo it? Yeah. which is their kind of Twitter, yeah. is their equivalent of Twitter. Yeah. So this is interesting because obviously Ozil has spoken out or he's taken political positions before, more accurately, which have brought him disfavour and understandably, you know, supporting Erdogan is, was not a good look in that context or any context. I've got to give him respect here though, because that was a big shout to do that. It was big of him to say that. Came out of nowhere, really. And the fact he did it in Turkish was like, yeah, he's not grandstanding for a European audience. He's like, this is, as was a complex character. Like mm. one thing you cannot accuse him of is lacking resilience. And actually surprisingly outspoken for a guy that is, he seems quite diffident. But yeah. There's a lot going on out there. Yeah. Arsenal don't get a shout out. They wouldn't have made that statement if it wasn't in a country or a region, basically where there's so much money being brought in the Arsenal-Man City game was taken off TV because of it. It's very similar to the NBA scenario in the summer. For those who haven't, who didn't know, there was uh, the Rockets, Houston Rockets GM, Daryl Morey tweeted in support of the protesters in Hong Kong, quickly deleted the tweet because it started a shit storm because some NBA teams were over there for the preseason China games. Steve Kerr was being asked about it whilst being in China. Adam Silver, the uh, head of the NBA, had to do some damage limitation. Apparently, the loss of uh, revenue for the NBA was, the term they used was dramatic. Yeah. So this is why Arsenal have come out and made this statement. And it raises a question where, okay, I was going to write a piece about this, but Mm. we might as well just maybe talk about it. Yeah. Clubs being selectively political, they will back campaigns that are supported by the league, for example, in terms of Rainbow Laces, which is a really, really good campaign anyway. And I think it's something that should be done more of. They didn't make a statement about Hector Bellerin coming out and saying fuck Boris right. on the day of the election. Right. So are they actually apolitical? No, because they've run the numbers and they've worked out which fan, which people they can afford to lose. I think the very statement in itself is a political statement. Well, of course. To speak to Arsenal, they would have looked at that tweet from Bellerin, seen it going super viral, and they would have worked out, actually, if we consider who our supporters are, and there would have been some accountant crunching the numbers and be like, actually, yeah, we can afford that statement because the people that he would have angered by that are not our people anyway, mm. right? The same when Gillette went and did a campaign, which was great about masculinity, but Gillette were basically like, those people are not really our people anyway. These clubs, these sporting enterprises like the Houston Rockets and Arsenal, they are the canaries in the coal mine and they don't know how to handle this. And the thing I would say to both of these organizations is someone within the organization tweets anything and China will hammer you regardless, so you may as well back them. It was the original sin. The second someone speaks, a peep comes out, and China will like sending a message to anyone from any club who speaks out, any organisation that speaks out in any form, even if it's not sanctioned, will hammer them. So that's the line you're walking. 
that line is impossible for anyone to walk because you're like, well, who, who, who next? This raises a really interesting question in terms of like, what do clubs actually want? I really feel that there needs to be a movement from a lot of Premier League clubs to get to actually get more political because if you take the general election as a prime example, so many policies that the Tory majority government got elected on directly go after so many people involved in Premier League football clubs. Immigrants. They make up a massive percentage of playing staff, coaching staff, club staff, executive staff, everything. Can I say this as well? The data that I recently got from this uh, consulting company, Brandwatch, so I wrote a piece about this for The Guardian, The Observer, sorry. Islamophobia is the highest form. It's like, the, it's the top, it's ranked top of all online abuse. Mm. It's higher than racism, actually. So that's the thing. Like, we, we have the stats now to say that, like, Islamophobia is the most common form of insult used in, in a footballing context online. Mm. That's how, so you're right, you're completely right. And, 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 on, and by this, I'm not saying that clubs should come out every general election and say, we support this party or this candidate. But football, yeah, it, it lives in its own bubble, but only for so long. And it's something that, to give credit to a lot of clubs in Germany, yeah. they are political. They are. And they do it in very individual ways. And often it makes up a lot of the reasoning behind people supporting the club. So yeah. Werder Bremen are a prime example. They've had, a, I think, a 20-year now official anti-racism policy, which shouldn't be a thing. headline news. But it's something they stand by. Like Wolfsburg made the decision 18 months or so ago to change the official captain's armband throughout the entire club to being a rainbow armband. That's a political statement. Yeah. I do wonder that because of the uniform nature of the Premier League branding, that it's reduced the amount of individuality allowed for clubs to really express political stances on things. Yes. All the Premier League clubs were wearing a rainbow armband in the last couple of weeks. That's a political statement. So if you're practicing inclusivity or anti-discrimination, why not display it across the board? Because people see that. They do. And yeah, I can imagine something like that is really daunting. And maybe the Premier League have had a word, but then why the Premier League not coming out? The Premier League are running official anti-discrimination campaigns. It's like they're being, some, some discrimination's okay, as long as it's far away and it's out of view and we don't see it, but the money's coming in. And I really do think that if we're not careful, you know, you've seen really questionable decisions made by a lot of top level football clubs over the last few years, predominantly in the Premier League and ownership, ownership, sponsorship deals, all this kind of stuff, purely for financial gain. Further down the line, it targets so many people involved within the football club at some level. What are they going to do about it? Right. They could just become like Formula One where they just don't care and they just take yeah. the money and just don't make any statements on it. Like, for example, if, if, there, is a really, if there is a real lurch to the right in the, in the, within the UK, more so, yeah. and stuff like right to protest gets clamped down on, are Arsenal going to do anything then? Probably not, actually, because it means that they can officially ban people saying Cronky's out or whatever. But do you know what I mean? I, I'm, I'm not really articulate no, or no, intelligent is, enough to really is, rattle through the kind of ins and outs of this, but it's something that... Sorry to f- footnote to listener, Ryan perfectly articulating the issues so well I don't have to interrupt or say anything because it's so <laughs> good. And then right at the end of it, it's like, no, I didn't do it very well. No, that, that you've expressed perfectly how I feel about it. And just to add to the excellent points you've made, Premier League is a package in a way that I think sometimes we forget living inside Europe or the UK. It's taken to somewhere like China as... Here is this shiny package, which is apolitical, and you can push it as much as you like. I mean, look at club ownership. And if Manchester United are sold to Saudi Arabia, for example, 
I spoke to a couple of people and they were like, if that, that happens, we're, we're done. Like we're out. We're, and these are lifelong United fans. They're like, there are things a club stands for. There are values. And these things matter. We talk a lot about values. And some can say, oh, that's nebulous. You know, how can a fan base, how can a club with such a diverse fan base have values? Actually, yeah. Like if clubs don't have identity, then how come they're all running to appoint former players? Clubs know they have identity. Clubs know they have values. And they and know that they're getting further and further yes. away. Yeah. And they're appointing those, exactly. They're appointing those managers, not out of a sense of nostalgia in every case, but a sense of revival. What are we really about? So at a time, it's so interesting that this, this revival, this sense of, the sense of these clubs trying to sort of reconnect is coming just at a time when these conversations about politics are becoming more and more live. And I think we're set for a kind of form of collision course because the Maury thing happened with the Rockets. Yep. This has happened with Arsenal. And it's no coincidence that it's both happened in relation to China. I think when there's a lack of cooperation, because it affects everyone, yeah. and clubs are much more powerful entities than individual footballers when it comes to things like this, because it's one voice versus many. I just think it sets a very, very dangerous precedent. I agree. And I also think we'll be back here having this discussion. This discussion is going to be like the racism in football one. We'll be back here again within six months. Because I think that, yeah, I mean, football is heading for, sorry, this is a really, really depressing segment, but I think football is, is heading for some kind of like borderline awakening. A reckoning, yeah. And it's going to hit the sport hard because they haven't thought long-term. There's going to be things that football cannot walk away from. I had a great conversation with um, the head of ERIAC, which is a European centre for Roma, Roma culture. This is the first one. And we were talking about what could be done. Uh, her name's Timea Junghaus, amazing, amazing person, based here in Germany. And I was saying, like, how do you fight sort of far-right populism? What's the best way forward? And she was like, the best way to fight it is to fight it by defending is defending strong institutions, supporting strong institutions, social institutions that stand up for the rule of law and dignity. And in that context, I would argue, as you would, that football clubs are such an important representation of social fabric in the UK and the best in so many ways of what football club, of what society can be in the UK. Football clubs are those institutions we should be supporting. And if they stand, if they stand aside when we need them at this point in history, I mean, they won't be judged kindly in future and they're not being judged kindly now, frankly. So yeah, football clubs are part of that. Institutions that fight what we're seeing, this sort of nationalism and these surges in ignorance and othering and depression. We need them to stand tall. We do. Yeah. All right, we're back from the break again. A rare second break. Yeah, absolutely. Let's get on to some more light-hearted stuff. Let's do a quick dart around the leagues. Absolutely. All right, Premier League, go. Kevin De Bruyne masterclass. Can't take that too personally, Arsenal, because it's what he does. Oh he does God, do those, that. Those finishes were unbelievable. Yeah, he does that to people. He's De Bruyne. All the, all the City goals were very good. And yeah. then they just chilled for an hour. Exactly. Lucky them. The one beautiful thing about being, by, being beaten by Man City is, if it's brutal... It at least looks nice. Yeah. You know, you can, okay, you know what? That has a certain aesthetic quality. Get out the red wine and just get out a cigar. <laughs> yeah, I, I did not enjoy watching that game. Yeah, Man United scraped a point at home. That's weird. The Moise Keane substitution. Yeah, we had a question about this from uh, Dr. Me. 
Was Moise Cain-Beers substituted? Really a tactical move by an astute, passionate young manager. Young? Mm. Ferguson? Yes. Or a passive-aggressive move by a new member of the Emperor's New Clothes Society? The latter. Just take someone else off. Do you know what it is? It's one of those classic, like, I'll make a statement, like, a, you know, motivational, it's motivational room 101, like throw a bone out there. And it wasn't passive-aggressive. I think it was aggressive, actually. But it was a kind of like, haven't scored yet. Let's, let's see. Let's try some sort of reverse psychology to, like, get you, like, kickstart you. And it's like, Nah. Like, mm. Moise Keane's a really good player and something's gone wrong for him not to have scored yet. He's not been coached properly. Something's gone wrong. He needs, a, he needs a proper, proper yeah. coach. And then he'll be fine. Yeah, he's not been very, very well coached since he yeah. moved to Everton. That's it, yeah. Um, where else in the Premier League? Oh, Sheffield United, shout out. Oh, yeah. 2-0 win over Villa. Doing really well. Yeah, just a well-coached team. Chris yeah. Wilder killing it. We, I mean, we big him up pretty yeah. much every week. Superb, at the yeah. A couple of nice goals too. At Bournemouth. Contender for Catfish of the Year. <laughs> Actually, Seb Stafford Bloor was talking about this, how Eddie Howe always seems to pull Bournemouth back from the brink. Always yeah. seems to sort of work out their problems. Really yeah, yeah, yeah. Great coach. And a weird goal as well, because everyone thought he was offside <laughs> and the lines were flagged, really, or the, the, the referee's assistant, sorry. There's a lot of weird refereeing decisions going on, actually, across the league. I don't know if everyone saw this as a bit of a jump. Bundesliga, Dortmund-Mainz. And just oh, the refusal to give penalties. This was weird, The man. referees refused to give penalties. This was really weird. But they had three huge penalties this not allowed. given. Yeah. One went to VAR. It still wasn't given. Yeah, so basically, I think Royce crossed the, crossed the ball on the ground. Defender slid, put caught his arms it. down. He basically caught it. Hit his hand and then he kind of rolled on it and touched it with his other hand. It looked like he was putting a baby to sleep. He was so intimate with the ball. He, he was holding like, it. cradled it. Holding, it, yeah. it was like cradling it, yeah. And it went to VAR and it wasn't given. I think the ref didn't give it because he's like, I didn't see it originally. I think the commentary and the German sort of voiceover was basically like, he didn't see it originally himself, so he's not giving it. It was kind of the rationale. Unbelievable. Um, the other one, there was another one on Marco Royce got pulled back. That yeah. didn't get given as a penalty. Which, that was the softest of the three, but yeah. I still think it was a penalty. Yeah. And then and Hazard got absolutely floored and no penalty. So it's a good job they didn't need it because, I mean. So Hazard, this, they, went, they then went and scored goals that could not be disallowed. <laughs> Shout out to Zagadu with a great assist for Sancho. <laughs> Zagadu strolling forward with having so much fun. To be fair, where the hell were the Mainz players? Where have they been all season? I mean, but then fair play. To, I mean, the defensively poor Mainz have been struggling. Zagadu, shout out. He's been quite nice the last few games. He's been he's been doing well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I like I, I, I like Dan Axel Zagadu yeah. a lot. Yeah. Best name in football, <laughs> along with Sat Maximan. <laughs> <laughs> but the Verda goal against Bayern. Which was stunning. Yeah, we had, a, we had a question on this. Okay, from uh, Kunle Ajayu. Some love for Rashika's goal against Bayern. Oh my goodness. If you haven't seen it, as they see the, to use the basketball commentary, he put Boateng in a spin cycle. Gets the, the ball in the half line, beats him with a Cruyff turn, surges past him, cuts inside and cracks it. Like, Neuer has a full view of it from 25 yards out and doesn't really get close to it. It was a bit like, in terms of power... It was a kind of like a Batistuta level strike. Mm. I mean, he can really hammer it. And he actually missed quite a good chance about five minutes later because he had a bit of a rush of adrenaline, didn't square it and hit it over the bar. And then, of course, Bayern came back into what Bayern do. Yeah. Did you see Schalke Eintracht? I didn't know. I missed that one. There was one of the worst red cards I've ever seen in this game. <laughs> so, Alexander Nubel, the Schalke goalkeeper, came flying out and basically absolutely flattened Gasinovic from Frankfurt. It was kind of like, you know, the Schumacher, the really yes, famous yes, Schumacher Batistone, one. Yeah. It was Schumacher really, Batistone. really bad. 
straight red, but the commentary was amazing. So the commentator said, das ist einer der rotesten Karten <laughs> der in Bundesliga Geschichte, which basically means that is one of the reddest cards in the history of the Bundesliga. That is incredible commentary. That's incredible. I one of the reddest cards. Das ist einer der rotesten Karten. <laughs> Do you know what I love about German commentators? There are certain things they love saying. Yeah. Like, German commentators are some, they love saying the word, the name Mason Mount. <laughs> Mason Mount. <laughs> yeah. I think because it sounds so different to anything in German, so they're like, oh, I like saying that. It's like sort of trying a little a spice. There are a lot of phrases that they say just in English. Yes. And, they, and when they're thrown in the midst of a load of German, they can be really jarring. So funny, but, yeah, yeah. But um, there was one, I can't remember who it was. It might have even been the Jaden Sancho goal where the commentator just flipped from German to saying, and, you know, that's just easy peasy for Sancho. Yeah, so that was brilliant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In, the, against, in, the, in Mainz, yeah, yeah, the Mainz goal, yeah. Um, and yeah. Sancho actually became the first player in Europe's top five leagues to get double figures in goals and assists in all comps this season already. And this is a bad season for him by, by, his, by, by comparison to last season. And remember last season as well, he was keeping up with Messi yeah. in terms of the assist numbers as well. So he's, he's a marvellous player. He's playing very well. Dortmund are doing all right, you know. Yeah, yeah. They've kind of steadied the ship. You know, survived in midweek in the Champions League after a little bit of a scare against Slavia Prague. Leipzig are top because Gladbach lost to Wolfsburg 2-1. That, yeah. I mean... Three great goals. Yeah, and you know what? Shout out to Wolfsburg because two for, different goal scorers. Just for scoring two goals, to be honest. But <laughs> actually, yeah, but, but not... And the goal scorers not being Joao Victor and Vekos. Yeah. That's big for them. Yeah, they, so they've, they're now up to 17 goals in 15 games. Huge win for Only them. two sides have scored fewer goals than Wolfsburg this season. Just a bad day at the office for Gladbach, really, wasn't and it? And they are Dusseldorf and Cologne, who are in the bottom three. Yeah, Dusseldorf got taken apart by Leipzig, as you'd expect. Yeah, Leipzig, who were heavily rotated as well they had a, yeah. um, they, after midweek. And there's a English Avoca this week. And that, well, one of the reasons Leipzig rest a load of players is they go to Dortmund on Tuesday. Forsberg on the bench, Lookman on the bench as well. Yeah, I'll be there. Fantastic. In Dortmund, going to pat me long, Johns, because it's going to be Indeed. freezing. Get your thermals on, yeah. Um, but, Potentially the game of the week, that Dortmund-Leipzig in Dortmund Tuesday night is probably on something like BT Sport. It's almost like the NFL UK. level epic, like in yeah. the cold. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Epic. And uh, do you want to do a quick mensch for Sociedad Barca? Yeah, there's a nice game that. Well, I mean, but this is the thing. It's what happens at the Anoeta. It's Sociedad Barca. <laughs> a point is always a good result. It was like when United used to go to Elland Road. Yeah. You know, that, that's like Sociedad, they're kind of like the Leeds. They're not going to win the league, but they'll beat people that will. Yeah. And just, I mean, Odegaard. He played really Putting well. a shift, yeah, yeah. He's been beautiful this year. Big penalty from Oyazabal. Yeah. Messi squaring it nicely for Suarez. Messi had been quite quiet. And uh, do we really need another segment where Ryan goes, the difference between Messi and everyone else is, but it's my podcast and you're going to get one, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> but quiet game. A lot of people would have tried to get on the score sheet there. You know, like when the kids go quiet, they're up to something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like they. Or I was going to say, filling their nappy. <laughs> <laughs> Messi was the kid that would go quiet, and they're like, "Oh, where's Leo? Leo's gone. Oh, Leo's disappeared." You go upstairs, and he's painted some beautiful fresco. He's built a full Meccano <laughs> yeah, Eiffel exactly. Tower. You're like, okay, I'll, I'll allow it. I'll allow it. <laughs> oh, a quick shout for Women's Super League. There was an important result there. Chelsea drawing with Liverpool. One yeah. Beth England got the equaliser, but then after about 15 minutes, Ch- uh, Liverpool got the early lead. But then actually, Chelsea couldn't press home the advantage. And I, I know Chelsea have scored a lot of goals. They've scored like, I think, 23. But my one concern with Chelsea would, or would be, and they've got Sam Kerr in, so that might change in the next few games. My one concern with Chelsea is 
match control is there. But now and again, I'm like, do they have a sufficient variety of goal scorer? Mm. Guru Wrighton had a really nice game, actually supplied the goal for um, Beth England. And, you know, Drew Spence will chip in the goal now and again, but I, I just worry they haven't got the diversity of goal scoring that Man City have and that Arsenal have. Mm. And of course, Miedema doing Miedema things, as you've noticed. I bookmarked a tweet from Tim Stillman about this. Vivian Miedema's 2019, 53 goals scored, Women's Super League title winner, record broken for Women's Super League goals scored in a single season, broke the Netherlands' all-time goal scoring record at the World Cup, age 22. Oh my goodness. And she made it to the World Cup final. I mean, that is an unreal year. And, and watching her even score goals and the lack of celebration is like... It's like next. I mean, it is done. Yeah, I mean, the, the Chelsea result was big because it now means that they've lost their game in hand advantage. Absolutely. So Arsenal are now three points clear of Manchester City in second, who are a point clear of Chelsea. So Chelsea are now four points behind Arsenal. And City are racking up the goals as well. Yes. They, they did. I mean, they put West Ham away and they put you know put Brighton away. I think defensively, Man City is still the best team in the league. Yeah, only conceded three goals this season. Yeah, just a quick quick shout out before we go from Bundesliga. The table is as you were. A good win for Bayern, three two over Frankfurt. Hoffenheim beat Köln one nil, and Wolfsburg beat Duisburg four nil. But that game was interesting because it was nil nil until second half. Until like sort of five minutes of second half, he scored the opener. Alexander Pop. And they ran out 4-0 winners. So yeah, as you were, top of the um, Frauen Bundesliga for Wolfsburg, followed by Hoffenheim, followed by Bayern, another three points back. Before we go, we need to direct everyone to your, if they haven't read it already, your piece oh, for The you. Observer in the weekend. Oh, thank you. Stormzy guest edited The Observer magazine last week. And one of the things that formed part of that, I was very honoured to be asked to write a feature on online racism in football, faced by black footballers. So I've got some great original research from Brandwatch Consulting, shout out Brandwatch because I love the, the, the stats you gave me, so much great context. Shout out to Enia Luko um, for doing an interview for the piece, which, you know, she gave for time. Uh, Troy Deeney, Trent Alexander-Arnold, thank you for your contributions to that because I think it gave a nice round of picture. Shout out to Shireen Ahmed, the host of the brilliant Burn It All Down podcast, uh, fantastic writer, activist. Professor Ben Carrington gave a great interview as well. Ify Onawara from the PFA. Two and a half thousand words in which I really got to explore the themes of racism in football, but put it in the wider context of our political moment, but also the historical context of why is it that black athletes who are outspoken in any way at all tend to get this kind of clamp down, crack down from significant parts of the, the watching population. So yeah, that piece is coming out. Well, it's out. It's online. Um, yeah, we posted, a, we posted it on the, on the Stadio account. Yeah. Yep, on the Stadio Twitter and Instagram. People yep. can, aren't in the UK and want to find it online. Well, if you are in the UK and you've only just found out about it, you can't get a copy anyway because it was from the weekend. Yeah. And I will say this, one of the most challenging pieces I've ever had to write because trying to condense everything in, I'll sound slightly arrogant here, but I'm, I'm proud to have been able to write it and to have get it into a form where I feel like it's, I think it sets out the issues in a way that is fair. And I think even the critiques it makes, I feel they're constructive. So yeah, I hope, you, I hope you enjoy reading it. One of the most challenging pieces to write from the man who used to do Man United match reviews <laughs> of ESPN. <laughs> oh God, get us out of here. Get us out of here. Play us out. Play us out. <laughs> oh, before we do go, I want to give a shout out to my uh, little sister, Keely. She, hey. she listens to the podcast. She doesn't really like football, but she listens to the podcast anyway, oh. mainly because of your laugh. <laughs> God. <laughs> Shut my scarf, my mouth. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, that's lovely. That's lovely. Shout out to everyone else who's listening. Yeah, thank you so much. Every single one of you. Uh, so, yeah, we'll be back later in the week with the Stadios, the first ever Stadios, and then one more podcast before our little fortnight off. Great stuff. It's been a really heavy week, hasn't it? it hasn't For been. a lot of people. Yeah, absolutely. So we're going to play out on the UPC All-Stars track called Don't Get Discouraged. And we will be back later in the week. We will indeed. See you then. Bye. Rain.